0: hi i love horror do you welcome to love horror podcast episode (gasps) nine last time i had an interview with an indie filmmaker in fact it was kevin summerfield who is with slasher studios and he was talking about his new film that's coming soon called dismembering christmas which is done to be in the style of an 80s slasher, which, to be honest, I'm quite looking forward to. This time I'm carrying on with trivia from the Friday the 13th movies, this time parts 7 and 8. So let's just dive straight into Part 7 trivia. The film was originally intended to bring Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger together, which ended up happening in 2004 with Freddy vs. Jason, Back then, in 1988, they wanted to do that even then. Unfortunately, Jason was owned by Paramount and Freddy by New Line Cinema and the two different companies couldn't come to an agreement. So the character of Freddy basically was replaced with Tina, who is a girl with psychic powers and she can make things levitate and move, things like that which is something I normally hate in movies when they do act to characters. I absolutely hated it when in Resident Evil they gave Alice psychic powers and I thought it was just really inappropriate for that type of movie. However, in The New Blood, I actually liked the idea of Jason, Jason going head-to-head with this woman with psychic powers. During filming, the dressing room for Kane Hodder was a quarter of a mile down a dirt road. So one night, when filming ended at 2am in the morning, he decided, still in costume, to walk down this dirt road through the woods back to his dressing room. As he was walking, somebody approached him and asked if he was with the movie. Kind of taken aback, thinking it was such a silly question as he was in full Jason costume, he didn't reply, which I'm sure the guy found pretty, cre- pretty creepy. The man asked again, and this time, Kane took a lunge for the guy and grunting and the guy took off running you can imagine that can't you, you know, walking in the middle of woods and come face to face with jason must have thought jason had come to life anyway the friday the 13th movies well, and a lot of movies during the late 70s and 80s were known for having a lot of issues with the mpaa which is the american ratings board and in fact it stands for the motion pictures association of america and they needed to and basically they always kind of picked on friday 13th i think a bit anyway but this movie part seven they went really overboard with and they tried to cut pretty much every scene and it was just a complete disaster and they kept threatening to give the movie an x rating basically if you don't know what an x rating is it We don't really have it here in the UK. It's more of an American thing. Basically, I think it stands for exempt. And if you get that rating, you cannot, uh, as far as I know, you cannot show your movie in a a public cinema. So the movie needed to get an R rating, and an R rating, as uh, I think, pretty much just means that you have to be over 18. It stands for restricted. And... The Motion Picture Association kept saying, you have to cut this, you have to cut that, you can't show this, you can't show that, you're going to get X rating pretty much no matter what you do. Eventually, they pretty much cut every drop of blood out and just cut every scene until they finally were able to get the MPAA to agree on an R rating for the movie. So this is considered the most heavily censored movie in the Friday the 13th franchise. Kerry noonan who played paula in part six jason lives actually read the uh, role of tina and uh, that was when she believed the movie was another movie called birthday bash but it turned out the birthday bash was just actually a working title for the next friday 13th movie when she realized that she went to the director and said look i've been in one already and they decided oh best not cast her However, I think that shows Ozzy, the director of this movie, hadn't seen Friday the 13th before, or if he had, he clearly had not seen the last movie. As if he'd seen the last movie, he wouldn't have uh, considered using the same actress. The director stated that he had clashed with the associate producer, Barbara Sachs, constantly over many ideas he had for the movie. She was known not to be a horror fan. She apparently hated horror movies. So one of the worst choices you could possibly have as an associate producer on a horror movie. And she kept vetoing all his ideas and he was just coming uh, to blows her pretty much on a daily basis. And she ended up... So basically he ended up going behind her back and filming some scenes he really wanted anyway such as the what now looks like a really pathetic scene, really, I think. It's really not aged well, but at a time, I'm sure it was a really good scene where he's in the house after Tina, and Tina uses psychic powers it, to try and, like, crush Jason's head, and she's crushing, and it snaps Jason's hockey mask in half, and it, the mask comes flying off, and he's got his horrible sort of face, makes a bit of a growl, and she screams. Now at the time I'm sure that seemed a really good scene. Uh, hasn't It hasn't aged well but it's quite a rememberable scene so I'm glad they did leave it in but the associate producer Barbara Sachs didn't want it in. She tried stopping it and he had enough of her and filmed it behind her back and I'm glad he did because she hated horror and he didn't. He knew what he was sort of after. It needed really left up to him, I think, and uh, I'm glad he went behind her back on that. Kane Hodder did all his own uh, Jason stunts in this movie. He uh, That included falling through the stairs and into the basement and uh, near the end where the porch is collapsing. Well, I believe, if I remember rightly, Tina has knocked the porch down on, on top of him to try to crush him and it falls onto Jason's head. He did all these stunts himself. This was Kane Hodder's first time playing the role of Jason. He would then play Jason in Part 8, Jason Goes to Manhattan, and Jason Lives, which is Part 9, which was the first movie made of these by New Line once they took over the rights. And then finally, he would play Jason in Jason X, which is the movie that a lot of fans hate, uh, but you, if you're a Friday the 13th fan, you're probably going to not like me saying this, but I really feel that that Jason X is perhaps even the best one of the entire franchise, or at least the second best. Anyway, that was the last time he would play him, and he is so far the only actor to play Jason more than once. After turning down Marta K- Kuba, I'm not sure, i probably getting her name completely wrong, but anyway... Uh, an actress who was in Friday 13th, part two, and Ke- Kerry Noonan, who was in part six. So, again, like I say, clearly he hadn't seen the previous movies, otherwise, he wouldn't keep approaching the actresses who had been in the movies before. um He then decided he wanted Paula Iveen to play the role of Tina, the leading actress, the leading character in this movie, because she was 19 years old at the time and had the what he considered the perfect teenage look and personality that he was going for however that actress had made commitments to star actually another horror movie called phantasm 2 which came out the same year which if you're a horror fan which presumably are listening to this podcast you would probably have seen the phantasm movies and if not i recommend you go check them out So, anyway, he was unable to cast her for that role uh, and he was really run out of time and was not able to find a real teenager between the ages of 18 and 19 that he was going for. So, for that role, Tina Shepherd, he had no choice but to cast Lara Park Lincoln, who was 26 years old. So, she was a good seven or eight years older than he wanted at the time. And, uh, Apparently, the actress had to wear a lot of makeup to look anywhere near the correct age, so the audience would think she was a teenager. During filming, producers hired Leslie Busby, I believe his name, um, the local gator man. They paid him to be an alligator wrangler. He was supposed to keep alligators away from the actors, make sure the actors stayed safe because the area they were filming in. But the alligators were not active in the water when they were filming, which was October and November 1987. So basically they paid him uh, to to do not a lot, but better be safe than sorry, though. You wouldn't exactly want your leading lady, your final girl, your scream queen, whatever, to be uh, eaten alive by an alligator, would you? Well, if you're a ruthless director, then I guess... uh, might make, might make for a very realistic scene. Uh, if this was the director of... Um, I forgot which one it was. Was it part five? Well, if you've listened to my other podcasts, you remember me mentioning the one that was f- that had the scene with the woman in the lake in the little dinghy and the director kept pushing and pushing and pushing. He wouldn't stop filming. It was below zero in the water. The actress was getting just freezing cold. And in the end, the the stunt actor who played Jason had to threaten to walk away from the movie and not come back before the director would give in and let the poor woman out of the water. And in the end, she, I think, got hypothermia from it. So had the actor not done that, she may have ended up dying. Uh, So if you had a director like him on this one, then... uh, You probably wouldn't have bothered hiring an alligator catcher. Anyway, the director was so impressed with Kane Hodder when he ate live worms on the set of Prison 1987 that he pushed for Paramount to let him cast Hodder in the role of Jason. If it had not been for the director of this movie, the role of Jason Voorhees would have uh, been reprised again by C.J. Graham. And that is the uh, guy who played Jason in Jason Lewis Part 6 in 1986. So we came very close to having an actor who played Jason 1 once that wasn't actually Kane Hodder. But I'm glad they went with Kane Hodder. He is my favourite Jason. I have nothing against any of the other Jasons at all, but Kane Hodder has the build, he has some movement, and he just gets Jason perfect and I was so annoyed when in Freddy vs Jason they got some other guy in it who to me doesn't act quite right also which is no fault of the actor of course but in Freddy vs Jason his head looks like pure plastic and looks ridiculous he also looks way too overweight for the role of Jason and Kane Hodder was just the Jason so I'm glad they went with him there's a number of film scenes that were edited out of the final cut in order to make the R rating, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Maddie's face getting stabbed in the woodshed, Dr. Crewe's body being cut in two in the woods, a longer death in sleeping bag scene, Russell's axe to the face by the lake, Jason holding David's head, and an ending scene of Jason jumping out of the water and grabbing a fisherman. The actress who played Sandra in Friday the 13th Part 2 a fact known to the casting directors, apparently, was offered a role in this movie and ended up getting the job. But when she eventually told the director about being in part two, they replaced her. So, good she is honest, because I think, you know, people, fans who knew better would have seen that and thought it was really stupid, ridiculous, and the director obviously didn't have a clue what he's doing. Which, to be honest, he didn't. How he could have approached two different women from other Friday 13th movies and having no clue they'd been in it is just unbelievable. Jason's mask in this movie was cast from the same mold as the original mask in part three. And if you remember part three is the first movie to feature Jason's hockey mask and that was in 1982. It was slightly modified in order for the damage to be seen in the mask, the axe cut and propeller damage. The edges of the mask have been trimmed to make it smaller to show more of Kane Hodder's head around the mask. On the special features of the DVD... Kane Hodder talks about a near-fatal take that's in the movie. When Jason falls through the stairs, only a certain amount of the steps were meant to give way. Jason's head narrowly missed one of the actual real steps as he went through. Interestingly, every death scene took place at night in this one. As I mentioned earlier, the working title of this movie was Birthday Bash much of the film's score were uh credited to Harry Manfredini and it's actually recycled music from the previous movies he was given credit for the use of his uh music but I didn't do the composing or at least not any new composing for it Susan Blue had a very cold bad cold when filming her death scene so might made a, you know I'd imagine that would be quite a hard filming a really, any scene when you're not feeling too good. But then again, it, I'd have to rewatch that because what I'm wondering uh, is maybe I'd have to... I can't picture that scene off the top of my head. But if she looked ill from being ill, that could have done a lot for the scene. I'd have to rewatch it, though. Anyway, William Butler, uh, who played Michael, was the only real teenager in the movie. His character was killed off by Jason in the first part of the film. According to documentary Crystal Lake Memories, a complete history of Friday the 13th, which was made in 2013, the original script was titled Jason's Destroyer. The film is said to take place in October 1991 and September 2001. There was a cameo with the veteran actor who played Crazy Ralph. If you remember in the first two ma- movies, it was Crazy Ralph, the crazy local who goes around telling all the campers that they're doomed and uh, the campsite is cursed. He actually, even though his character was killed off, of course, in the movies, he came back for this one to do a narration. Uh, the opening scene has a narration and that is actually the actor who played Crazy Ralph doing that narration for the opening, which is I thought was quite interesting. We have a body count this time of sixteen. The movie had a budget of about two point eight million and made appro- approximately in the box office it made nineteen point one million. So fairly fairly good, fairly low budget but fairly good returns. Let's move on to the next film, Friday the 13th, Part 8 Jason Takes Manhattan. This would be the last film to be made by Paramount. After this, Part 9, 10, Freddy vs. Jason, and the reboot would all be done by New Line Cinema, the owners of, Fre- of Freddy Krueger. Now, people, you know, fans often hate this movie. I feel quite opposite in regards to the friday 13th than most fans most fans seem to hate part three part eight and jason x those three movies that are the most hated by most fans are the most loved by me anyway what fans i think particularly don't like about this movie even though it's got kane hodder which in itself makes it one of the best ones i think as long as it's got kane hodder in it I think the storyline can be thrown out the window. But you got Jay, you got Kane Hodder as Jason. You got your Friday Thirteenth. Anyway, in all seriousness, uh, um, the original idea for this movie was a bit more sound. It was going to be about eighty uh, percent of the movie, maybe even more, was going to take place in New York, and it was going to contain scenes like a battle sort of scene with Jason at the Statue of Liberty. It was it just going to have. The Empire State building just any of the popular things you can think of from New York was going to be in this, and it sounded quite exciting actually, but this had a small budget really, five million, which still even at that was three million more than the budget of the last Jason and what ended up happening was he kept getting their budget cut and they kept getting told by the powers that be no can't do this too much money you know the budget isn't there for it take this out take that out do this do that and basically it went down to about 50 50 it was going to be about 50 percent then on the cruise ship or whatever going to manhattan and 50 percent in new york then it was no can't do that cut down some more so even less the movie was in new york and gradually it happened until I don't know quite how much is in New York. I um I would guess around about five percent. It's just really nothing. It's about the last few minutes of the movie is in Manhattan. There's no Statue of Liberty, there's no Empire State Building. You just really all you have is Times Square briefly, which is actually quite a good scene. I actually quite like it the scene of Jason walking through Times Square. Uh He confronts some uh, punks, some thugs, whatever you want to call them. And he turns his back to the camera, facing these guys. And they're kind of threatening him, getting switchblades out. And he lifts up his mask and they see what he truly looks like. And uh, they're not quite so willing to cause trouble with him then. And he walks off. It's a good scene, but that's about all that's in New York. In fact, any more of the storyline that is in New York is filmed in Toronto, in Canada. Anyway. But still, people seem to hate so much that it was on a cruise ship and so little in New York. I think one of the reasons I'm not as against that as some fans is because I like actually, I quite like the idea, I've always liked the idea of having a horror set on a cruise liner I think it's perhaps down to the fact I'm quite fascinated in history. And I, one of the things I like in history, one of the uh, events was Titanic. And I really like the story of the Titanic. So I've always been sort of intrigued with the idea of having a horror set on a cruise or ship or an ocean liner. And so I actually really liked having Jason going around on this cruise ship in a storm killing people off uh, I think perhaps he should have just kept the whole movie on that cruise ship and retitled it uh, because I think that's what disappoints fans is they find the title Jason Takes Manhattan misleading if they put it perhaps as Jason on a cruise ship or whatever people would have been less disappointed Kane Hodder says that one of the most fun parts of his tenure as Jason was the scenes in Times Square, which I've just mentioned. He says that spectators were lining up and down the block watching the filming and he didn't want to take off his mask to destroy their illusion of Jason. He said that every once in a while he'd turn his head and look at them and watch them all go go crazy. The writer and director uh, originally wrote more of the movie in New York, as I was mentioning a minute ago, he had actually written scenes, which I haven't mentioned yet, Uh, I forgot to mention that that he also wrote scenes in Madison Square Garden, Brooklyn Bridge, as well as the Empire State Building. Paramount told him him that the budget for, for those type of things were just not there. They couldn't spend anywhere near that kind of money. So he was forced to rewrite the film and spend more money on the cruise ship. He has said in an, interview, in an interview that he agrees with fans who complain that there is not enough time spent in New York, given the title is, after all, Jason Takes Manhattan. And that is basically what I've already said. A lot of the reason people hate this movie is not really the storyline. I don't think it's fair to criticise the storyline as much as fans do. I like the stormy cruise ship with Jason knocking people off all over the ship. I personally like that. I really think the only thing that is wrong with this movie is it has really a misleading title. In the diner, the man Jason froze into the mirror would go on to play Jason in Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. He also plays Kane Holder's double for Jason in some of the scenes in this movie. So that is what even though I didn't like the Jason, the look and the movement of Jason in Freddy vs. Jason in 2003, I felt, and I felt that they should really have brought back Kane Hodder. It's still neat that they actually used a stunt actor who had appeared in a previous installment. Despite the nature of the film and adverse filming conditions, Kane Hodder provided several moments of fun, Uh, with the cast, uh, uh, following several death scenes, for example, once the director called out cut, Hodder would do a brief disco dance in full makeup, making the cast laugh. Another instance I can remember from a documentary I saw that he would play around is there is a scene where he first goes onto the, not the cruise ship, but the little little boat on the lake and kills a couple off, where he kills a guy, the woman runs off and hides in the boat, which, like I've heard, and some people mention in documentaries, I think podcasts on the internet, it's perhaps a little silly that she hid on this teeny, insey boat. You know how how hard was it going to be to find her? She would have been better off jumping overboard. But anyway, she's hiding. She's hiding, and uh, Jason comes open, lifts up the hatch bit where she's hiding, and stabs her. But in one of the takes, uh, fooling around. Uh, as I mentioned, he uh, did on this movie with some of the cast to uh, brighten things up a little. He comes and opens up, and he's wearing a strap on. And that scene, that cut scene, does actually still exist because I have seen it. And seeing Jason wearing a dildo is a bit of you know, it's not something you see every day. Uh- <laughs> In the original script, when Jason makes it to the dock, a dog starts barking at him, and and he uh, kicks it. Kane Hodder, playing Jason, felt that kicking the dog was going way too far, and so the scene was cut. And I agree. I, you know, on one hand, I say, you know, especially in horror movies, it's a movie, just do what you want. Uh, however, being an animal lover that I am, I Really get sick of seeing dogs getting tortured, murdered, or killed in horror movies these days. You didn't used to really see it that much in the eighties, but in the two thousands, it seems like every horror movie that's made now has a dog getting killed, or and or and or killed and tortured. And I I'm really getting sick of it. So I'm glad that Ken Hodder stood up and uh, said he didn't want that scene in the movie. According to An interview in Fangoria magazine from August 89. Kane Hodder vomited on cue in the final scene after drinking a lot of water, and this was not actually a special effect. It's basically he had drunk too much water. In the scene in the subway when Jason is chasing Renee and Sean, Sean pulls the emergency brake in the train to knock Jason flying backwards. On the poster to the right of him, with, in graffiti is the words "Jason lives," and thinking about it, I think I have noticed that when I've watched this before. After the disappointing results at the box office, Paramount decided to sell the Friday Thirteenth franchise to New Line Cinema. Making, as I mentioned uh, when I first started talking about this one, t- this made Jason Takes Manhattan the last uh, Friday Thirteenth to be produced by Paramount until the Charles and I remake. Only two other sequels were released in between. So even though New Line had something to do with the reboot, and I can't remember, uh, it got a bit confusing, but it's to do with the rights. And even though New Line Cinema had the rights still to Friday the 13th, because it was a remake, not a sequel, and it was a remake of one they ha- had previously made, Paramount, paramount basically i think forced their way into being involved in the reboot which is a bit hypocritical considering they sold the right to begin with and they from everything i've seen and read paramount was always quite embarrassed by horror movies and embarrassed by the friday the 13th franchise as he considered themselves somewhat of a family entertainment company like disney The original posters for the film featured Jason ripping through the I Love New York poster, which you can actually, if you look online for it, you can still buy reproductions of that poster, which I'm tempted to get one myself, as it's one of my favourite Friday 13th posters. In the first poster, Jason is holding a bloody knife, which was cleaned in a second poster for the fear that the blood was too graphic. However, both posters were dropped following a complaint by the New York Tourism Committee. Basically, New York reckoned it was a copyright, uh, copywritten, trademarked image and threatened to sue them in the end, I believe. In the final scene where Jason reaches through the porthole and grabs Renee, the actress, was reportedly really terrified her face was just inches away from this large and very sharp piece of glass that had become stuck in the window frame and the actor who played Jason was actually unknowingly pulling her right towards it this is actually the first movie in the series where Jason actually kills one of his victims by strangling strangling the person interestingly which I only found out recently Lar Park Lincoln from Part Seven, who played Tina Shepard, the leading lady who had psychic powers, wanted to sign on to Part Eight to continue the story of Tina, which I would have loved. Because, like I say, I'm not a big fan of that type of thing—the psychic powers angle—but pretty much never did any of the same leading characters return. So it is a pity that when it looks like perhaps somebody is going to return, that they don't end up going through with it. I've mentioned this before, as another one of the actresses wanted to return and they decided to go for a different angle and didn't use her, which is which is a shame. And this time what I've read is that she wanted ended up wanting a higher salary than what she was paid in part seven in order for her to return. I suppose she felt that she'd become more important to the franchise once she was got to be in more and one. So she wanted more money. Unfortunately, Paramount told her that their budget cannot, couldn't go that far and they didn't want to pay her any more for that. So basically she turned down the role. So she, she was half willing to go through with returning as Tina. So Paramount decided to rewrite the entire script for part 8 to make the mo- movie into a whole new take the whole new direction with the movie which later completely excluded her character and she they replaced the entire new uh, entire thing with a new cast of the female leads. all the girls are supposed to be graduated from high school only Jensen Daggett was one of the few actresses who actually was a teenager and was 19 at the time of shooting The movie this time was falsely titled with the working title of Ashes to Ashes, like the last one was Birthday Bash. While filming in New York City to avoid fan interruptions, a fake title was also used in the script to prevent auditioning actors from knowing and revealing what film they are making. In the fake title script, Jason was named Ethan. Of all the Friday the 13th films released by Paramount in the 80s, only Adrian King, who played the leading lady in part one and Jensen Daggett who played the lead role in uh, were actually real teenagers at the time of filming both were 19 years old the prologue of the film foreshadows all of the places that Jason would chase the teenagers downtown with the gang members the diner the alley with the drug addicts and the subway the New York waitress is a sister of the film's director in shot in one shot the subway bears graffiti reading "Cutin Lives. Cutin was part of the name of a high school band that the director was actually in in real life. This was actually until the remake the last movie of the Friday 13th to include the actual title Friday the 13th. The next would be Jason Goes to Hell it wouldn't carry Friday 13th for the title. It would be just Jason goes to hell. Then the next one, which is the last of them before they do Freddy vs. Jason and the Reboot, is called Jason X or Jason 10, whichever you prefer. The deckhand who's uh, warning everybody about They're Doomed is, of course, based on Crazy Ralph from the first two movies. For... Uh, bit more of a technical trivia here the last movie in the series to be recorded in ultra stereo the subway car chase wasn't inside an official new york city subway only the exterior shots were real this is actually the debut feature film uh, of the actress kelly who who plays eve the dog toby is named after the dog that uh, that the director actually once had the names of the vessels were the leisure boat Lady Drifter, seen at the start of the new, uh, start of the film. It's the small boat that Jason first goes on, and the cruise ship is named Lazarus. The show that the fans really didn't like this, this is also the lowest grossing film in the entire series. The film is said to take place, and I'm not sure how some of these people work this out, but they say that the film takes place in 2002. The film, I believe I've already mentioned, cost 5 million and it made 19.3. So they say it's the lowest grossing, and that's true. But if it had that lower uh, budget of 2 million, like the last movie, it would have probably been pretty equal. The final bit of trivia let's look at the body count. The body count for this one is 17 which is fairly high with a uh, with three unconfirmed kills the thug that smashed into the pipe the cop dragged into the alley and the cook thrown over the counter in the diner if you count these three as kills it would surpass the body count of part 6 which holds the highest body count until Jason 10 Jason X uh i I personally would count two out of three of those. I would count the thug I would count the cop. I wouldn't count the cuckoos thrown over the counters. I don't really see would have died from that. So there we are this week's trivia, part seven and eight this time we uh, still of course have trivia to do from part nine and Jason te- Jason x as well as Freddy vs. Jason and the Nine remake or reboot, Friday, Friday the 13th. However, if you're familiar with this podcast, I skip each week. One week I'll do Friday the 13th trivia, the next week I'll do something different. Well, this time I haven't actually chosen what I'm going to do next week, so stay tuned. Uh, but then the week after, we'll be doing part 9 and part 10. So, thanks for watching. As a reminder, you can find and subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes podcast directory using the iTunes software, which is available for Windows and Mac and your iOS devices. If you have any suggestions for the next episode or just this podcast in general, then you can email me at lovehorrorpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. That's lovehorrorpodcast, all one word without the question mark, lovehorrorpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. So thanks for tuning in.